you're listening to Soundwise Podcast, a show hosted by Alex in Serbia and Vlada in Poland. Each week we cover a different artist or band and engage in an open and spontaneous debate and discussion about specific parts of their discographies. Our goal is to expand our musical horizons and cover a great range of artists and styles. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash soundwisepod and social media at soundwisepod. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Soundrise Podcast. Hi Alex, how are you doing today? Hi Vlad, I'm doing really well. Uh, excited about this episode. Finally, you know, uh, James Brown and, and Funk. Um, and also we are kind of sticking to, let's say, the old music. So you can never go wrong with that, right? I'm also super excited about this episode. I chose the artist after all, and um, I'm, I always love it when we go back and when we explore the true pioneers, the true masters of the craft. But not to say too much, I'll ask you one question, Alexander. When somebody says the word funk, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, spontaneousness, I would say, I think, you know, being spontaneous with your singing and your playing is the, the main thing about funk music, the foundation of funk music in my eyes, Vlada. Uh, yes, of course. And, and I think that when it comes to, um, such qualities, uh, there's not many people that exemplify it better than James Brown. But I think behind all that spontaneity that you can hear in James Brown's music, there's a lot of thought. There's a lot of brilliant, one might say, ideas. So James Brown is by many considered, and rightfully so, and almost undoubtedly so, the godfather of funk. And um, we can say that he's the one of uh, he's one of those people who developed this sound, maybe the most important figure in funk music. Um, James Brown was born in 1933, uh, and initially he had a lot of success back in 1950s with his group, The Famous Flames. It was a singing group. So he came from that soul background. He started off as a soul singer primarily, and he stayed uh, a soul singer for the rest of his career, one might say, because funk does not exclude soul, if, if I may say so. So James Brown went through a number of transformations in his early period and eventually, eventually evolved the sound that's so unique and so special that nowadays uh, we might hear it a lot in so many artists' music, we may hear people copying it all the time. So it might have turned into a bit of a cliche, but in its infancy, it was so exciting and so new, and and so and it's basically taking the world by the storm. But uh, another thing that's I think worth mentioning when it comes to James Brown is his political activism. In addition to music, I think he. Over the years, he realized that his music could be an outlet for much more, and he started incorporating political and social messages in the song. 
and I think he was one of the leading black artists to do so in, in his fight against racism. So Alexander, uh, prior to this episode, what was your knowledge of James Brown? What were you familiar with? Obviously, I thought that he was the godfather of funk and that a lot of funk musicians that I personally listen to have drawn a lot of inspiration from him. And also, he's probably, I would say, um, the inventor of any kind of dance music. You know, any kind of disco, uh, funky, soul stuff. Um, we've covered some similar acts before on this show. So, yeah, he, he was kind of the main figure in, in that music world, in that, in that part of the music world. And uh, also one thing that's not quite <laughs> positive and legendary, I think that there is some controversy attached to his name. Do you, do you have maybe some stories to share, to, to share with us, Vlada, or was, was that something else? You know, I'm not sure if I confuse him with someone. Uh, to be fair, um, there was some controversy regarding his uh, relationships with women. But I'm not sure I really want to delve into it right now because I'm not so familiar with details. Uh, so, yeah, as much as he was revolutionary, as much as, as much of a great musician that he was, he also had quite a troubled past. Uh, but so did many other artists, it seems. Uh, that's something that's almost inevitable in many cases. Uh, and it's something that we try to bring up in the show try to shed more light on the musicians as people, both their good and bad sides. But I think with James Brown, I, I wouldn't really delve into it much right now. Uh, let's just say that um, his uh, legacy is mainly about music and about his political activism as well, I would say. And we'll try to stick with that, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, we mostly focus focus on their music, uh, but, you know, I kind of remember that you weren't hesitant to slating Norris Barkley, but now when it comes to other musicians, you're kind of, you're kind of hesitant, you kind of want to cover stuff up, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just forgot the details, you know, I'm just, I'm, I just forgot all the shady, nasty details, so I'm, I'm looking at some stuff right now. Uh, apparently, uh, he was quite abusive uh, back in 1962. He dated a young singer from his band who was only 17 years old at the time. And I think he was around 30, 29, 30. Um, so he was extremely abusive to her. Her name was Tammy Terrell. And there was some other controversy later on, if, as far as I can recall. So again, uh, we have this thing where a wonderful, great musician had a really troubled past and a lot of violent accesses. And this is something that I think it's important to mention, mainly because it's important to demystify these people a bit. You know, it's important to know that we're... In, into this mainly because of music and that glorifying anyone or putting anyone on a pedestal 
unless they're the Beatles. <laughs> I'm just joking. So putting anyone on a pedestal is uh, not a good idea, no matter how much you admire his or her art. But in case of James Brown, there's much to admire when it comes to his musicianship. So without any further ado, I, I want to ask you what you thought about the first record on this list, Live at Apollo. Live at the Apollo. Uh, this is considered by many one of the greatest live albums ever recorded. And this is why I chose this record. This is why I wanted to hear your thoughts on this record. And I also wanted to revisit it. So, Alexander, what's your take on this? Okay, Vlada. So, yeah, today we're going to cover uh, three records. As always, Live at the Apollo, Cold Sweat and Sex Machine. But first, live at the at the Apollo from um, 1963. Okay, so first, um, one of my first impressions was that this album kind of reminded me of Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, some of the albums that we talked about in the uh, in the Sly and the Family Stone episode. Um, first, um, I really like James Brown as a uh, performer. And I really like his engagement with the crowd. His singing is fantastic. You said that he started off in a in a in a vocal band and a singing band. There's probably a certain uh, name that describes that kind of band, but you know, let's let's put it this way. So he was amazing as a singer. I really like that. I also I also like the uh, the the sound quality here. You know, it's not perfect, but it sounded pretty good. And um, the musicianship as well, but uh, to me, this album was all about him as a singer, as a performer, and also as an entertainer, Lada. Uh, yeah, I mean, this gives you a glimpse of him as a performer at his peak, you know, when he was around 30, 29 years of age, and uh, it's quite fascinating. But I would also say that the band here sounds pretty swell too it's just amazing how how well rehearsed they were uh, now uh, whenever it comes to such early live records like this one I always wonder how much of it is actually live whether there were some overdubs and so on so as far as this record is concerned I really don't know uh, but I want to believe that a lot of it is live and I have no doubt that they were capable of pulling off this kind of performance because the musicianship is just stellar. Uh, now, what's exciting about this is the, that you can sense that excitement in the venue through the record. You hear the screaming girls. Uh, it all fits so well into the sounds, the music, the grooves. And most importantly, I love how this record is an R&B record, soul record. But you can already hear those seeds of funk right it's already there it's already rearing its ugly head so to say and i love it absolutely love it you know especially in songs like i'll go crazy uh, there's this very classic kind of opening that i'm pretty sure this band probably invented that even i think red hot chili peppers and others used later on um, yeah probably uh, and then there's a, there's another great track here, Think. I remember hearing this song, if you believe me, the first time I heard it, it was actually a cover done by none other than Mick Jagger. And, you know, it's interesting to bring up Mick Jagger because 
you feel that somebody like James Brown was such a huge influence on a number of performers later on, rock performers primarily, I would say. Probably like, Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop, yes, certainly to ex to an extent, but just that whole stage persona thing, you know, it's not just about singing, about his great vocal performance, which is there, but also about uh, riling up the crowd, getting people to, uh, you know, getting all eyes on him, so to say. And this is something that was later on picked up by the likes of Mick Jagger, not to mention all the cool dance moves that unfortunately we couldn't see while listening to this music, but we could easily imagine, I would say. Uh, so yeah, this is absolutely tremendous. He storms through the songs. It's a very short record, 30-some minutes. It was amazing. It was just amazing. You know, when I was listening to the record, it was over in like, I don't know, 10 minutes. Actually, it's like 30 minutes long, but the, the songs just drive you and entertain you so much that you just have that feeling that it's very short. Mm -hmm. But yeah, even though it's short, there's still... A couple of cuts with long jams, like Lost Someone, which is, I think, 10 minutes. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's fascinating to listen to, that whole philosophy behind this music, you know, setting the groove, getting into it. And, and you know, you can, you can hear the seeds of what's to come later on. So, a classic album, uh, very much probably the cream of the crops, as far as R&B and soul music is concerned from that time period. Uh, the band is awesome. And you know what's interesting about this record? Two things, actually, that I want to mention. One is that James Brown financed recording this record himself. So he had so much belief in what he was doing that he financed the record, and he even went against the wishes of the record company that wanted him uh, not to release something like this because they believed that all these songs, having already been released before, would not, uh, would not really appeal to the crowd because they already heard all of them. But little did they know because this was one of his best-selling records at the time. And it went out of print in no time and they had to print more and at the end of the day, James Brown's philosophy won over his record label. He was right to believe in this kind of project. And I also think that this record is the reason why James Brown should mainly be remembered as a phenomenal live performer. Not just a pioneer, but also a live performer. It seems like Absolutely. his live records are just something else. It's on another level. And I think this is a great early example of that. Totally agree. I mean, you know, his abilities to perform and sing, you know, he's not an average singer. He was a great singer. And this is the, this is the, the kind of record that kind of defines his le legendary status. You know, you can only listen to this record and kind of hear that this this was a big deal, you know. So, yeah. And I also have to praise the the uh, the song "Think." I thought that was the highlight here, Lada. Oh, hard to choose the highlight. Maybe I'll go crazy or think, or I don't know. It's just so good. Maybe 
Uh, Night Train is also good. Night Train, I was thinking. Mm, I think I have to listen to it a bit more to decide on the absolute highlight. But let's say I, let's say I'll go crazy on my part because that's the the song that comes in right after the intro, and it just storms through the venue. Uh, you can really feel it. It's almost like you're there. So I have to I have to ask you one thing mm -hmm. before we wrap it up with this record. Um, we have a lot of great songs here, and I have to ask you as a uh, music aficionado, uh, do you know any of if any of these songs would later be you know heavily covered by other bands? Do you know any examples? You mentioned Think, but do you have more examples? Think for sure. Let me see. Um... Is please please on this? Yes, please please please. That was later covered by the Who, for example. Um, and I'm sure there are covers of "I'll Go Crazy" and "Night Train." It's just that they don't pop to my mind right now. But I think a lot of these songs are classic James Brown tunes that you probably heard before, even listening to this record. Uh, so yeah, a very impressive early classic. Released at the time when live albums were not that big and were very hard to record, actually. So that's why I am a bit suspicious about whether all of this was actually recorded live. The issue that we will revisit later on when we talk about another live album. But still, who cares? It's about the quality of the music and it's absolutely stellar. So ratings, Alexander, what do you say? Okay, so... Rating is 8.5 and the standout track is Think. Okay, I'll give it an 8 for now, even though it has the potential to to grow on me even more. But I would say 8, um, an excellent record, as I said, and the standout track is I'll Go Crazy. And now let's move on to a studio record that came out in 1967. The seventeen yeah. album by by James Brown. Wow. Pri primarily known for its title track, Cold Sweat. Okay, so Cold Sweat, in the opinion of many folks, many music aficionados, is one of the tracks that truly defined James Brown's funk sound. They say that that track is basically the cornerstone on everything that followed afterwards. Uh, so, Alexander, what do you think about this track? Cold Sweat, um, a great record, to be honest. I really enjoyed this one, even more than the previous one. Uh, so many great tracks. Yes, a, a defining sound here. Uh, you can also hear some tracks with the 12-bar blues uh, here and there. And I also like the addition of love songs and uh, also ballads. You know, we have a couple of ballads here. So I think that most of these songs are about love, and I personally relate relate to some of them. Yeah, I wanted to ask you also about this song, Stagger Lee. You know, I'm not sure if it's love-themed, you know, as as the rest of the record seems because you have some lyrics like stagger lee crying billy please please don't take my life i got three children and a very sickly wife uh, this kind of sounds like a um like a dangerous gambler or someone maybe a criminal i'm not sure do you have any insight on that mother 
Yeah, of course. I mean, of course, it's not a love song. Uh, it's a really famous folk tune that I think comes from the Caribbean islands. And it's been covered so many times by so many artists, even uh, the likes of The Clash, for example. And um, I think uh, Nick Cave even wrote his own song featuring Stagger Lee as a character. Of course, it's about two men gambling. You know, the at the end of the day, one is begging the other not to take his life. So a very classic, dark folk tune covered by so many folks. Uh, so that's interesting to hear uh, James Brown's take on it as well. I have to say, though, with this record, while Cold Sweat, I first of all can't even emphasize how good Cold Sweat Part 1 and Part 2 are. It's like everything you want in funk music. The grooves, the fantastic horns just driving the song forward. James Brown being, you know, his, um, his showman self, you know, ener energizing, galvanizing the listener. So good to listen to this. But then afterwards, while some of the tracks are really well done and I enjoy listening to them. It's kind of a mishmash for me and I realized that the main reason why it's so is that this is not really a true studio record, like a true album. It's more, a, more of a compilation that features Cold Sweat because a lot, of these rec uh, a lot of these recordings date to other years, for example, 64, 65, uh, 63, I don't know. So you can hear that. You can hear that these songs do not really gel well together. Maybe individually, they're all quite good, but they do not gel well. So you, you have a lot of ballads, as you mentioned, Nat King Cole covers like Mona Lisa and Nature Boy. Beautiful songs, but we've already heard these standards elsewhere, and it's not that exciting to hear James doing them, to be quite honest. It's good, it's respectable, but it doesn't have that weight, you know? It's not that original James Brown. It's more like James Brown doing standards. It's, um, it's kind of almost done just to fill out the record, which I think was the case. Kansas City, pretty good. Another standard. Fever as well. Great renditions of these standards, don't get me wrong. The aforementioned Stagger Lee. But I just feel that on the whole, this doesn't really work so well. And I think you're fine just listening to the first two tracks, Cold Sweat 1, Cold Sweat 2. Then you can explore the rest, but it's not a huge loss if you don't. Oh, wow. That's that's an interesting take, Vlada. Um, yeah, I kind of felt the same in terms of the record not sounding consistent. I thought that some... I don't know, some songs just sounded like they were recorded in another studio. And that, that is, you know, probably the case here. But for some reason, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was quite energetic. And James did all of these covers and all, all of these songs. He did it pretty well. Uh, yeah, Cold Sweat, no doubt about it. But I also loved uh, the um, the love songs here, especially the ballads. I'm not a huge fan, I'm not a huge fan of ballads, but... You know, this time I really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's probably the, a compilation. Yeah, yeah. The, the selection of songs 
that he covered is actually quite good, like Nature Boy and Mona Lisa and all these standards that we mentioned, Kansas City. So it's it's very enjoyable. I just feel like it's a bit of a letdown after hearing Cold Sweat because that's so unique and original that then you want more of it, but you don't get it, not on this record. W wouldn't you agree with that? I, I'm not too sure, to be fair. Um because I enjoyed the rest of the record, actually, so I wouldn't quite agree with you, Firbada. All right, all right. So let's see. Which rating will you give to this beauty? Am I again the first one to give my rating? Yes. Okay, so my rating is... Hmm. I might I might sound controversial or I don't know I might sound a bit uh, crazy but uh, this is to me a nine out of ten and the standout track here is hmm, I'll go with who you won't difficult. go with cold sweat no I'm actually looking at some of these ballads to be fair because they were as you rather like to say they were emotionally resonant <laughs> yeah that's one of your favorite expressions all right okay so i'm gonna that. go yeah, yeah yeah i'm gonna go with uh let's go with nature boy i definitely heard nature boy many times and i love the song but i just don't see what's the point uh in listening to james brown's version i mean it's good it's respectable but there's so many other versions of the song, some of them superior, I would say. So, I mean, dear listeners, you be the judges. Maybe you should check this out and tell us what you think, whether you think Alex is absolutely on the money choosing this rendition of Nature Boy or whether I, I'm right when I say that Cold Sweat is the key track here and one of the defining tracks of James Brown's career. So, I just feel that this is it. This is where James is completely freed of all the shackles, conventions, everything, and he just hits you with cold sweat. You know, that's what I like about it. So, a great, great track. A good record, somewhat weird, not gelling so well. So, I'll give it 7.5. That's fair, Vlada. Okay, so moving on to 1970, and now we're gonna talk about a longish album. It's actually a double album, as, as far as I remember. It's called Sex Machine, and to be honest, this is, I think, the album, this is the only album that I had known uh, from uh, James Brown before we, you know, decided to do this episode. So, uh, and I've also heard some famous uh, tracks here. Um, that I've heard, you know, on the radio or in, uh, in movies or somewhere. So, yes, a big record, definitely. So what were your thoughts, Vada? All right, so now I have to say that when I listened to this one, I was just floored, okay? Yeah, we said that Live at the Apollo is a great record. Cold Sweat, also great tune. But this is another level, okay? So this is his seminal, famous band, 
the JBs featuring a lot of young guns at the time. The folks like Bootsy Collins, uh, Clyde Stubblefield. Then there's, of course, Fred Wesley and Maceo Parker, the guys who we already heard on Cold Sweat. And the band here just cooks so well. And right from the get-go, it's like the groove heaven. Get up. I feel like being a sex machine. Yes, we've heard this song many times before. I think the first time I heard it, I was probably even... I don't know, I was probably uh, five years old or something. An infant? <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe, yeah. Uh, so it's one of those songs that you just know, right? Nevertheless, when you sit and listen to this 10, 11-minute version nearly, it's just a marvel, especially uh, all the grooving and the instrumental section. And, of course, James Brown being an absolute showman. You know, showing how you can dominate the crowd with just one groove going over and over and over again. Now, talking about the crowd, though, I have to say something. And this might come across as a bit of a disappointment, but half of this record is not actually recorded live, including this track. But it has such a live feel that when I read about it, I was so disappointed. It was actually done in a studio. And I think this was originally a four-side record. The first two sides were recorded in the studio. But the second half of the record was done live. And it probably features certain overdubs. So that's the only uh, quote-unquote problem with this record, because this record has no problems, okay? This is as perfect as it gets when it comes to funk music. There's not a single weak track. There's nothing here that is annoying, cringeworthy. No, everything here is just stunningly good. And this band, I think, was probably the best band he ever had. Bootsy on bass, I mean, what else can you get? Like Sometimes it's so greasy, it's so fat, and uh, I just, I'm, I'm just speechless. Another great track that everybody probably knows about, it's a, it's a man's man's world. Uh, one of his best, well, maybe the best ballad if we want to talk about it. Uh, Alex, what's your thoughts? I, I, I don't really have much to add here i was amazed by the whole musicianship and also him as a performer i also thought thought that uh, the sound quality was fantastic here and uh, as far as i can see on wikipedia james brown is listed as the producer here nobody else it was james brown and um yeah it's totally you know fantastic a five-star record uh, so many great tracks, so many famous uh, tracks. Uh, it will be definitely difficult to, to pick some highlights. Uh, I want to ask you, do, do you think, uh, or maybe how did you feel about uh, this double album? Okay, so this was a longer album. Are you kind of used to listening to it? Did you think that it was too long or it was uh, just enough? Uh, what, what, what do you think? I mean, it's... 64 minutes or something like that. It's not that long, you know, and 
I mean, it's definitely worth including more performances here. So I, I don't mind it being long. I think as far as the records we listen to, this one really stands out for me. I think no matter how good Live at the Apollo seems to be, th this record is probably his pinnacle. And uh, everything just works so perfectly. I love this band so much. You know, it, it sounds so organic, and as you said, the sound quality is so good that it really emphasizes this fat groove that they have going. Uh, and they're so synchronized. They have these really cool breakdowns, really cool ends, uh, endings of the song. Uh, I love his vocals, uh, love his political messages as well. There's one track. Uh, I think it's just a moment. It's hard to find a specific track because there are so many here and all of them are great. There's one track. Um, I can't really recall the name now. Oh, yeah. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door. Okay. That song uh, was so straightforward in its message. There's one part where he says, kids, get the education. You know, it's all about the liberation and education as the tool of fighting the oppression, and I love it, especially when it has such a tasty groove going. You know, it's it's just a marvel again. Uh, so, really, really great. Maybe half of it is not live, but what's live definitely sounds just as good as the studio half, if not better, if not more energetic. You can almost feel the difference in the second half. You can say that it's more live, that everything is much more, um, oh, should I say it, Alexander? Should I say it? Everything is much more in your face. Oh, finally. <laughs> so so I, I, I this used... is where it's definitely worth using it. Yeah, yeah. So I used Emotionally Resident, and now you used uh, In Your Face. So there you go. Okay. Any other thoughts that you may have on this one? Uh, I just didn't know, before, you know, I just didn't know that Bootsy was on this record and that makes it even better. Um, I didn't really pay close attention to the lineup, but, you know, all in all, if you're a band that has a fantastic singer who is also a, a fantastic performer at that and also a stellar instrumental lineup, you know, nothing could go could go wrong with you. That's my final take on this album, Vlada. Shall we now? Shall we now go to the ratings and pick uh, a standout track or yeah. standout tracks? All right. So uh, for sure, the rating for this one must be very high. So I think I'll give it. Uh, hmm. I just don't want to do it any any disservice whatsoever. So I'll say nine point five because it, it, I think this is probably one of the best soul funk R&B records I've ever heard. It's just something that I, I feel like, I feel bad that I didn't listen to it before, to be honest. I knew some of the cuts, but I had no idea how great the whole thing was. And I think I'll be revisiting this record for years to come.
So 9.5, the standard track is hard to, to decide on, but uh, I'm, I'm kind of torn between It's a Man's World and Sex Machine, but then there's some other great cuts too. But let's say um, It's a Man's World, definitely. Well, not definitely, but it deserves it anyway. Fair enough. Uh, my rating is the same, 9.5, and the standard track here is... Oh, it's pretty, it's pretty tough, but I go with the first track. Get up, I feel like being a sex machine. Yep, that's it, Lara. Yeah, so, again, uh, a part of what's really exciting about doing these shows is that sometimes you get to listen to these records that you might have overlooked for one reason or another and then you get to, to listen to them because of the show and, and you feel like it's some kind of major revelation or major breakthrough for you as a listener especially having heard so many records over the year knowing that I overlooked something so great like this it makes me feel good, actually, because it means there's much more to uncover out there. Many more gems like this one. Uh, hopefully, but not much comes close to this excellence, this level of excellence. Okay, Vlada, so I definitely agree with your final word here. I'm a funk fan. I pretty much enjoy the, these records and also some of the some of the funk acts that, that I love uh, sounded in one way or another like James Brown. So there's no doubt about his legendary status. Uh, James Brown died in 2006, so we can now just reflect on his career and his massive influence on, on, on the music world. And uh, yeah, that's it. So dear listeners, uh, thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, we hope you enjoy this. We hope you'll enjoy uh, also, the, the, the previous episodes, we released a special episode uh, last week, so hope you like that, that one as well. That was also an episode that was pretty much about music history, uh, and that's, that's, that's the point of this show, uh, among other things. So uh, check out our social media, the handle is SoundRisePod, and also if you want to hear more about music history... Uh, music future and uh, the present tense of the music world you can um, become our patron and give us suggestions we have a monthly patron poll so you can participate in that and you can also see other benefits that go with each patron tier so sunrise pod uh, it's the same handle on patreon till the next time all the best and see you soon Write a review, and then you can share it. With the world. In any social media platform. And then your friends see it, and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and CastBox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day. Which is on the 8th of every month, of every year, of every century, of every... You get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. Because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. 
write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. PodRev Day, because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag PodRev Day, P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y.